been comfortable for way too long. Please, forgive me. I know you want to use me to show your love in this world. Give me eyes to see needs of others, and a heart that dares to get involved where you are working. God, my life is yours. Whatever you want, wherever you need, here I am, Lord. Send me. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, and we are continuing our series entitled Dangerous Prayers, Dangerous Prayers. We are on our third week, and as we've said the last couple of weeks, uh, we have been challenged uh, to not pray the safe prayers that we usually find ourselves praying. Uh, As followers of Christ, we pray prayers like, bless me, uh, provide for me, watch over me, keep me safe. Uh, make me comfortable. Um, Lord, just watch over us and give us traveling mercies and keep us safe. And those things are good. There, there's nothing wrong with praying those prayers. But if that's all the prayers we pray, then we're severely missing out on what our life as a follower of Christ could be. And so we've been challenged the last couple of weeks to pray dangerous prayers, to pray dangerous prayers. Uh, we have prayed in the first week for God to search me, for God to search me and try me, and see if there be any wicked way in me. And as we prayed that prayer, uh, we discovered that we asked God to reveal my fears and allow me to surrender those fears to him, but as well as revealing my sins. And what's the point of these dangerous prayers? Why do we want to pray dangerous prayers? Because we want our intimacy with Christ to grow. We want to be pushed in our walk with Christ. And for what reason? So that we can trust in him more. We need to pray dangerous prayers. We need to pray, God, search me and try me. What does David say in Psalms? See if there be any wicked way in me. And then he says, and the reason I want all of this is so that you can lead me in the way everlasting. And isn't that our goals and our desires as followers of Christ to be led in the way everlasting? We know that if we have Christ as our Savior, we are sealed unto the day of redemption. Amen. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us very clearly uh, that the Holy Spirit was given to us as a guarantee to seal us. And then Ephesians 4, I believe in verse 30, says that we are sealed into the day of redemption because that is the guarantee we have in Christ. What did John MacArthur say? I think he said it so well. If you could lose your salvation, you would. And the point is we can't lose our salvation. He is the one that is leading us and watching over us. He leads us not only in the way to salvation, but remember, salvation is not the end of your Christian journey. It's the beginning of your Christian journey. And once you come to know Christ, you're saying, God, you've led me to this point. Now lead me on from here. Lead me into what you'd have for me as I walk and follow after Christ. And so as you pray that prayer for God to search me, I believe your intimacy with him will grow. We also understand we prayed last week for God to uh, break me. To break me. And this was a tough one. It is extremely difficult to acknowledge the fact that God breaks us or allows us to be broken. And the reason is that we must follow Christ's example of being broken and poured out. But remember we said last week, what's the blessing in being poured out? What's the blessing in being broken at the feet of Jesus and then pouring ourselves out before him? An empty vessel can now be filled. 
an empty vessel that's been poured out can now be filled. And we said last week that we are filled not only by the presence of God's spirit, we're also filled with other believers. Cheryl said something amazing. She said, this is my home. Man, I'm so thankful that we have those in, this, in our church that feel like this is their home. I always feel funny when we're praying at night. We always try to pray with our boys before bed. And as a family, we get together and just say some, some kind of prayers that we uh, will ask for prayer requests and things like this. But you got to put a cap on it, right? Like when you're praying with kids, you can't just be like, give me some prayer requests. Because they'll just go on and on and on and on and on. And you're like, look, I'm not praying that long. Just give me one, two things, okay? So we actually say, you know, give us like, we'll say two prayer requests or one prayer request. But one thing we try to pray for often is our church family. But I always feel a little funny saying church family. Because it is our church family, but really it should just be our family. I'm so thankful that Cheryl shared that this morning, that she felt home enough here, comfortable enough here to say, this is where I feel. Cheryl has shared before her story that, that she found our church looking and searching. I believe she came on a Sunday evening, right? Came in and sat towards the back there. And I remember just introducing myself to her, getting to know her a little bit. And she was kind of just looking for somewhere to kind of connect. And guess what? She found a place that she felt filled up. But see, we don't come to be filled up necessarily, right? We come to empty ourselves out as we look at the needs of others. What does Paul say in Philippians chapter 2? Think not on your things, but the things of others. Think about what they need. And as you're serving them and, and loving them and pouring yourself out to them, in essence, pouring yourself out to the person of Christ, that's when the church then comes alongside and fills us back up. And it's amazing how we can be broken of our sin, broken of our pride, and yet God will fill us up with his love and his joy and his peace. This morning, we are praying our last of our three dangerous prayers and it is truly a prayer of availability. And it is a prayer of honesty before God. As we say, God, we're asking you to send me. Send me. And so as we go to the book of Isaiah, if you would turn there with me. Isaiah chapter 6. I keep missing it for some reason. Almost there. Hang on, we're getting there. Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 8. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. It says this, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. This prayer that Isaiah prays is a prayer of availability. I think often we will hear of needs, whether it be in missions, whether it be in our communities, whether it be even in our workplace, somebody that needs to know Christ. And we'll pray a prayer like this, God, I pray that you would send someone to preach to them. I pray you would say, send someone to minister to them. I pray you would take care of this person in their situation. And often we're praying for someone else to be available. But here Isaiah just boldly and daringly says, I'm going to pray availability. Lord, I, I just, there's a need. I, I'll go. Send me. I know we've prayed already this morning, but I'm going to ask that we bow in prayer and just ask the Lord to, to bless the reading of his word and to allow us to see what he has for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your grace, your love, and your mercy. And we ask, Lord, that as we come before you, that we would pray dangerous prayers. 
Not dangerous in the sense that we don't know what's going to take place on the outside, on the outside of this, that we don't know what's going to happen after. Because we know, Lord, that while we don't know for sure what's coming, we know you're there for us. But there's danger in this because we have to surrender some things. We have to be vulnerable. Lord, it is so transparent to pray for you to search us. Lord, we lay open and bare before you. We ask, while yes, Lord, we know that you see it already, we openly ask for you to search us. And then we ask that we respond in in faith as you reveal to us what needs to change. Lord, we pray that we would be broken before you and poured out. And Lord, as I pray that, I know there are those in this room right now that have been broken. There are those in this room right now that have gone through things that took them down to the, maybe they thought they couldn't even go on any farther. Lord, some of those things happened to them. You didn't author them, but you allowed them into their life. Some of the times that we're broken, Lord, we are broken because you are working those things out in us. You are doing that in your loving and gracious way. Maybe it's through the reading of your word as you begin to open up our hearts and you, you look into the very depths of us. But Lord, I pray that for whatever reason or in whatever way we've been broken in the past, that we would look to you to be filled up. Look to you for that healing that comes. And I pray that we would continue to be broken and poured out. Lord, everyone in this room struggles and will struggle with pride, with arrogance, self-sufficiency, the lie of control. And Lord, I pray that in the face of all those things that we would just open up our hearts and minds to you and say, Lord, I don't understand it, but I want to surrender. I want to trust. And so, Lord, as we've prayed to be searched, we've prayed to be broken, now we are prepared to be sent. And I pray you would send us into our homes, our workplaces, our communities, and maybe even around the world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This famous verse displays a desire to stand in the gap, to offer our lives and surrender to the will of God. Isaiah surrendered to the call of God for his life. As a follower of Christ, which we said last week means what? We've overcomplicated this. A follower of Christ, and again, I'm not a a very intelligent man. I'm a simple man. But when I read Jesus say, follow me, I tend to believe, I tend to think that what he actually intended that to interpret to mean in the literal from the Aramaic or the Greek, follow me. I think that's what he meant. I don't think it's meant to be complicated. I don't think it's this super spiritual way of following Jesus. I don't think it's this metaphorical or, 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 you know, allegory way of following Jesus. I think he really meant, hey, this is how I've lived. Follow me. It's kind of, I said it before, it's like playing Simon Says when you're a kid. How many people played Simon Says as a kid? How many people dominated at Simon Says as a kid? Like you were the kid nobody wanted to play because you never lost. Okay, a couple people. Okay. Anyone struggle with pride? Pride? Any pride? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, so it's like Simon Says. And if Simon says it, you... Do it. Pretty simple, right? So if Simon says, hop on one foot, you do what? Hop on one foot. If Simon doesn't say hop on one foot, you don't hop on one foot, right? Pretty simple. When we do Jesus says, it's amazing. The game changes. See, Simon says hop on one foot, we hop on one foot. Jesus says hop on one foot, we just have to believe it in our hearts that we're hopping on one foot. We don't actually have to hop on one foot. 
With Jesus says, we don't have to hop on one foot. We just have to memorize that Jesus said, hop on one foot, and then memorize it in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and all that stuff. Yeah, you're not hopping on one foot like Jesus said to you, but you've memorized it. You've put it in your memory banks. Maybe when Jesus said, live in such a manner to reflect your Father in heaven, why does he say it? Let your good works... Right? Show your relationship to God through Christ. And when people see those good works in Christ, they'll glorify your Father which is in heaven. Maybe he meant, I don't know, actually go do good works in Christ's name. See, being a follower of Christ is not meant to be complicated. We overcomplicate it because I think we understand it and don't want to do it. Hear me now. I think we totally get what it means to follow Christ. I don't think we're confused. I don't think we're just unable to comprehend this deep theological concept. I think we completely understand what it means, and we pick and choose when we're going to do it when it's convenient or comfortable for us. And I can be transparent enough to say I can say that because I've done that. I've done that. I've known very well that God has led me in something, and I've said, eh, that doesn't really fit my schedule. It doesn't really fit my routine. But it's okay, I went to church on Sunday. I followed you on Sunday morning. I followed you on Wednesday night. I did that then. I was, I was encouraging to the church and I served the church then. But if you're going to ask me to do something on a regular day of the week, or when I get home from work and I'm just sitting back relaxing, I mean, I'm, I'm tired, Lord. I've had a long, hard day. I mean, I know you came from heaven and you lived a sinless life and you died on a sinner's cross and you gave yourself for us even though you didn't have to. But you just don't understand how tired I am right now, Lord. Maybe he meant, follow me. And here's the greatest thing about it is, when you feel weak and insufficient and inadequate to follow, those are all very good things to feel as a follower of Christ. Because you don't follow because you're strong enough to follow. You follow because he saved you. He's equipped you. He's given you his Holy Spirit. He's given you his word. He's given you all that you need. All you have to bring to the table is availability. I'm just, Lord, here I am. Send me. You see, many of us will feel like we don't know what the call is of God on our lives. We don't know specifically what that call looks like. And I do believe there are specific uh, positions and places that God might lead someone into. Maybe you are here this morning and you have felt the call to full-time missions. You don't know what it looks like. You don't know where you'd go. You don't know any of that. But you just, every time missions comes up, you just get this little kind of moving in your spirit like God is saying, maybe that's for you. I do believe God moves certain individuals that way. I also believe, though, that God is calling all of us to missions. Amen? We're all called to missions. Some of us are called to global missions. Some of us are called to local missions. I've talked to missionaries who go on mission trips, and they'll go to these fields and ask them, like, how did you know, uh, like, Ireland? How did you know Ireland was going to be the place you were supposed to go? And they said, I didn't really know until I got there. I met the people. I saw what God is doing, and I just automatically love these people. And I just had to come back. So I don't think there's this, you know, writing on the wall, this burning bush or an audible voice, but I do believe God moves us into specific calls. But what do you do if you're sitting there and you don't know the specific call? You're like, I have no idea what specific thing God has for me. But I can tell you, you can be encouraged that there is a general call of God on your life. A general call of God on your life just because you're a Christian. If I had to simplify it and summarize it and kind of package it down, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. It's not very complex. But as I was thinking through this, this is kind of how I would describe the general call 
of God on your life. The call is to live for Christ. Now, we could stop right there, couldn't we? We could just stop right there. That's good enough. But what does that look like to live for Christ? The call is to live for Christ by leading people to Christ. By leading people to Christ and help them to grow in Christ. See, the general call for every believer is to live for Christ by leading others to Christ and helping them to grow in Christ. You see what's amazing is, you know what happens as you're trying to lead people to Christ and you're helping people to grow in Christ? Do you know what happens to your relationship with the Lord? As you're discipling someone and you're talking over Scripture, the Holy Spirit begins to grow you as well. See, discipleship isn't a one-way street. It's a two-way street. As you're working with somebody through the Word of God, you're being encouraged. You're being grown and strengthened in the Lord. And so the general call for every believer in this room is that you would live for Christ by leading others to Christ and helping them to grow in Christ. Now, we could stop right there and say, that's it. That's the call for your life. Then the question is, are you following or fulfilling that call in your life? It's, it's, it's a simple call. But are you living that out? Are you living out and responding to the call of God in your life? And let me just take a pause right here. Just kind of step back for a moment. If you're sitting in this room right now, and you don't know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, you haven't personally received Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been to church, you've been burned, right? You know why churches burn people like, and, and are just are mean and, and hateful and, and say mean and hurtful things to people and are arrogant jerks sometimes in church? Because churches, get this, are full of people. And people do dumb stuff. People say hurtful things. Now, in the church, guess what we should see a whole lot less of? We should see a lot less of that. But if there's one thing I've realized is that just because someone goes to church doesn't mean they're a follower of Christ. Doesn't even mean they're a believer. Just because somebody is a believer doesn't mean they don't have weaknesses and temptations and sometimes, I don't know, even sin. And so listen, while you're here this morning, I, I don't know your background. I, maybe I've known you for years, and I don't know what you went through when you were younger. But if you're here this morning and you're struggling in that area, you've been burned by church, you've, you've talked to Christians, or you've seen Christians say one thing and live another, I am so sorry that happened to you. But please do not allow someone's lack of following Christ to keep you from following Christ. Or rather, keep you from even accepting Christ as your Savior. Because here's the thing. I didn't receive Christ at 16 at Camp Chautauqua in Miamisburg, Ohio, because it was a good idea, because it seemed appealing to me, because it seemed pleasant to me, because it offered me the benefit of riches and, and wealth and health and all this stuff. I received Christ at 16 because I needed Jesus Christ, because the Bible is pretty clear that my good works are as filthy rags before a holy and just God that I can't do enough good to make up for the sin that I've committed, but Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin, and by believing and placing my faith and trust in him and making him center in my life, I surrendered to him. He saved me, redeemed me, and there's been so much great joy and blessings and peace, but there's also been trials and tribulations and struggles. But the beauty is that in Christ, I never go through a tribulation alone. In Christ, I never go through a trial alone. In Christ, he is always with me. Every time I've been broken, I was broken on Christ. And so as I talk about all this call for your life and responding to the call of God in your life and to be sent, 
My prayer is that if you don't know Christ this morning, that your first prayer you would pray is, Lord Jesus, I don't know if everything this guy's saying is true. I want to believe it. Would you just reveal yourself to me? Would you, would you open up my heart to you? Because I'm telling you, if you will open yourself up to him and say, Lord, I repent of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I ask that you'd save me. It's not about accepting Jesus as much as it is about repenting from your sin and turning to him. And he will save you. And so as we talk about this call of God in our lives, if you don't know Christ, then the first call he's calling to you is a call of grace, saying, come. And I love that song that Jeff sang, come to the table. There's a line in there, there's nothing he ain't seen before. Amen. Some of us tell ourselves this lie. Well, if, if I'm such a sinner, I mean, there's no way God could ever forgive me for what I've done. You're kidding me, right? Do you understand the power of grace? The power of forgiveness? Not because you're good enough, but because he is that great, that good. And so as we study this idea of the call of God in our lives, first we have to know Christ. But once we know Christ, we have to ask ourselves a question. How am I going to respond to this call of God in our life? You see, how you respond to the call will directly impact your joy, peace, and sense of purpose in this life. How you respond to the call of God in your life directly impacts your joy, your peace, and your sense of purpose. And being a follower of Christ gives our life meaning. But when you're not living your purpose, you don't feel like you're living on purpose. So how do we respond to this call? I want to give you three examples of how to respond. Three examples, and then we're going to come back to Isaiah and talk about how did Isaiah respond the way that he did. The first one I want to show you, the first response we see in the life of Jonah See, with Jonah, we see the response of, here I am, I'm not going. Okay, now we could just spend the whole rest of the time right there, right? And we could all be like, oh man, Lord, okay? In Jonah, we see an amazing text. And you can turn there with me if you'd like, or I'm just going to read it in a moment. But Jonah chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Jonah 1, 2 and 3. says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish and he paid fare thereof and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. What I find amazing in this verse is how many times does it say where God says go to Nineveh? How many times does God tell Jonah go to Nineveh? How many times does it tell us that Jonah went to Tarshish? You think maybe there's a point there, there's a principle being driven home? That God said it very clearly once, and we know Jonah understood it. How do we know that? Because he very clearly went the opposite direction. You see, in Jonah's example, we see the case of, here I am, I'm not going. And we put our heels in. It's like a teenager or a child that, I'm not going to bed. I'm not going to school today. I'm not going to church today. I told my boys a long time ago, we were getting up, getting ready for church, and one of them was laying in bed in his pajamas, ready, not, not ready to go. And I said, we're leaving at this time. You can either go in your pajamas or you can go in your clothes. I'll let you choose. But that's the only choice you're making this morning because the rest of the choices have been made for you. You're going to church. See, we have this mindset, this rebellion, this stubbornness, this I don't want 
to go. And we can study all the reasons why Jonah didn't want to go. And it all made sense, humanly speaking. I don't want to go because I don't think they deserve God's forgiveness. I don't want to go because I know God may forgive them. So he put his heels in. He was in rebellion. And he said, I'm going the other direction. I truly believe this can be many of us at any given point in our lives. We believe God is leading us in a certain moment to do a certain thing, and we just keep on going, or we don't go at all. We tell God, not today. I don't know about you, I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but if you're, if you're there and you understand this, you know what I'm saying. There's been days where we've just said, God, I'm not going, not today, not today. This is disobeying the very will of God in that moment. It's like we said, what Simon says or Jesus says, if you mean it in your hearts and you memorize it in the original language, but you don't actually do what God is calling you to do, that is not obedience, that is disobedience. I've used the illustration sometimes before, but it's the best one I can think of that I've heard. It's if I told my son, Anthony, go clean your room, and an hour later he comes back to me and I said, did you clean your room? And he says, no, I didn't clean my room, but I invited some friends over. And we had a Bible study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. It was great. We prayed. Grace and his friend, he got saved. It was great. There was weeping, and we were just so full of joy. A little revival broke out. We started singing Mighty to Save. It was wonderful. And look, I can even tell you, you said to me, Anthony, go clean your room. I, rem- I, I memorized that. And I went in his room, and it was not clean. Was he obedient or was he disobedient? See, we get it there. But when you translate it to the Bible, when you translate it to our Christian life, somehow we, we colorful or we make it more colorful, we make it more kind of clean it up a little bit. But in disobedience, is it really disobedience all of a sudden? Jonah was being disobedient to the will of God. One author said this, Obeying the will of God is as important to God's servant as it is to the people he's, this, his servants minister to. Obeying the will of God is as important to God's servant as it is to the people his servant ministers to. It's in obeying the will of God that we find our spiritual nourishment, John chapter 4, verse 34. We find our enlightenment, John 7, 17, and our enablement, Hebrews 13, 21. If you need those references, I'll give them to you later. Just come see me. But obeying the will of God is crucial because it provides all the things we need to be satisfied and to be fulfilled in this life. To Jesus, the will of God was food that satisfied him. To Jonah, the will of God was medicine that choked him. And to to Jesus, the will of God is food that satisfies. You ever been really satisfied after a good meal? You ever just sit back at the table and go, woo? Some of you guys know what I'm talking about when you do woo, you know what I mean? That's where you're like, I want another bite, but if I have another bite, you have to roll me to the car kind of a thing, you know? Just satisfied, just, just filled up. But to Jonah, he saw the will of God as something that would choke him, that would hinder him, that would hurt him. The first response we see is, here I am, I'm not going. The second response we see, we find in the life of Moses. Moses had a mindset of, here I am, send someone else. Here I am, send someone else. Turn over to Exodus chapter 3. Again, if you don't have your Bible with you, I'm just going to read it in a moment here. But Exodus chapter 3 and verse 10. Exodus 3 and verse 10. Moses' mindset was, here I am, Lord, send someone else. 
Verse 10 of Exodus 3 says, Come now, therefore, I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Quick question, did, did Moses understand God's command? Was Moses confused at all at what God wanted him to do? So what was the problem with Moses? I think Moses struggled with what many of us struggle with. You see, this could be where we say, we should be a giving church, but I don't want to actually give. We should be a giving church, but I don't want to actually give. They should give because they have more money than I do. They're more able to give. Or we should be a serving church, but I don't have time to serve. That's for someone else. That's for those retired people. That's for those stay-at-home parents. That's for those that don't have real jobs. But I mean, again, Lord, I'm just so tired. I mean, listen, I get we're busy. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If you're too busy, then maybe you're just too busy. Sometimes we need to say no to some things, right? We need to say no to some things. But I find it interesting, and I still think this to be true in most ministries, especially in America today, is that if someone has to choose priorities, it's amazing to me how anything related to church is the first to go. It's the easiest to get rid of. It's the easiest to walk away from because, after all, we don't really have to go to church anyway. I mean, come on, Lord, don't you know how busy I am? Don't you know what I've got going on? Don't you know my schedule? I can't possibly serve in the church. I can't possibly even serve my community. I don't have time to, to go next door and have a conversation with my neighbor. I'm too busy. I've got too much going on. See, sometimes we fall into a trap of send someone else because we just don't really want to go because we think we're just too busy. We want to be a giving church. We want to do missions. We want to see all these things happen all over the world. But we don't want to actually be the ones who give. Because that's for someone else. The other side of this coin, which is where I think I am just not good enough. We have a desire to go and even pray about going, but believe the lie that it's for someone else. Because I'm just not good enough. What was Moses' problem in going to Pharaoh? Who am I? Man, over the next four weeks, starting next week, we're going to talk that question out. Who am I? And I'm going to pray that through that series, you will discover that you are so much more than you've ever realized. Not because of you, but because of him. Because of Christ in you. See, Moses had a, had a self-esteem problem. And you know what God did to help Moses' self-esteem? He didn't help Moses by saying, Moses, you're awesome. Moses, you're great. Moses, you're the best-looking guy in Israel. Moses, you're the best-looking guy in Egypt. Moses, you're so awesome. Moses, you're awesome. Moses, you're awesome. No, no, he said, Moses, this is who I am. See, that's where the power lies. When you're struggling with knowing who you are and God's calling you, don't focus on promoting yourself. Focus on promoting him. Just start heaping praise on him. Start understanding who he is. And all of a sudden you'll realize, man, if he's calling me, then he's got a plan. It's so true. I don't remember what author said it, but we need to remember that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. 
If you are called, he will equip you to do and to be led in what God is leading you to do. So we see Jonah says, here I am, Lord. I'm not going. Moses says, here I am, Lord. Send someone else. But then we get back to Isaiah chapter 6 and we find Isaiah's response. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Go back to verse 8. Let's read it again. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. This is a very dangerous prayer by Isaiah. He said this with no guarantee of what was coming next. He didn't put any qualifiers on it. He didn't say, what's the pay going to look like, Lord? What's the location? Is it comfortable? Is it tropical? Or is it in Michigan where it's like you don't even know? Snow in one minute, rain in the next, and it's 80. The next 80, you don't even know. Lord, what's the weather going to be like? What's the situation going to look like? Is it going to make me comfortable? Am I going to be pushed? Isaiah did something we all need to do. He signed his name to a blank check and allowed God to lead. He signed his name to a blank check, and that blank check represented his life. And he said, here, Lord, I'm signing off on it. It's yours. You do whatever you want. Isaiah was more concerned with conformity to the will of God in his life than living as comfortably as possible in his life. Isaiah was more concerned with conformity to the will of God in his life than living as comfortably as possible in his life. When we pray this prayer, it is a dangerous prayer because God will prompt you and move you at times of interruption to your schedule. This is why it's dangerous. When you say, Lord, here I am, send me, he's going to send you. He's going to move you and prompt you and encourage you to say and to do things that may seem uncomfortable but are severely important to the will of God in your life. However, he's not pushing us out of the nest off into some great darkness with a bunch of unknown and no certainty of anything. He's saying, listen, there's going to be some uncertain things that come into your life, but here's the great comfort as followers of Christ. As we step out and sign that blank check, we have him with us. David Platt said it well. Followers of Jesus don't always know all the details about where they're going, but they always know who they're with. He is with us in the boats and in the storms of this life. Aren't you thankful for that? And aren't you thankful in the boats, in the safety, in the protection, in where everything's calm, everything's safe, everything's good? He's with you. But then when he calls you out of the boat into the storm and you're in that raging sea and there's just chaos all around you and you have no idea what's coming next, he is with you. He says, listen, if you will walk with me and you will keep your eyes on me, amen, if you keep your eyes on me, you won't be taken over by the waves. You'll be walking on the waves. All these troubles, all these struggles and storms, they seem like they're consuming you. If you keep your eyes on me, you'll see that you're actually walking above all this right now. I'm doing something amazing, and you can't even really see it, but just keep trusting. I remember years ago, I heard someone say in a message one time, when you can't see the hand of God, trust his heart. When you can't see the hand of God in your life, you trust his heart. You trust his character. You trust his love. So I have to ask you a question this morning. Are you ready to pray that prayer of, Lord, send me? Are you ready to sign that blank check? 
Or are you like some of us and maybe you're like Jonah right now, like, Lord, I kind of want to, but I don't really want to. Maybe you're like Moses, Lord, I want to, but I don't think I'm good enough. What does it take to see the need for praying this prayer in our life? What do you need to fully surrender to God? I want to give you three quick things, then we're going to close in prayer. Three things. To respond in a way that is honoring, to respond in an Isaiah-type way, we need to go back a little bit above verse 8 and see what happened in the life of Isaiah that led him to this point of saying, God, here I am, send me. The first thing we see in Isaiah 6.1, we see a genuine experience with the presence of God. It says, And in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Can you just stop for a second? Man, I, I think we do this so often. We read a verse and we're just like, okay, I, I understand what the verse is saying. But do you ever stop and say, man, what if I was in Isaiah's shoes? Man, what if I was in that moment when I looked up and I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and his train, his glory, his holiness filled the temple? And I think if we really saw him that way, a lot of these afflictions, a lot of these things that we allow to conquer us or overrun us or overtake us and to worry us, I think they would all just melt away, don't you? Man, do you ever think, man, if I, could, if I could see him on his throne? Isaiah had a genuine experience in the presence of God. Isaiah saw the throne of God and was in awe and wonder. In that moment, all of his priorities were put in place and he realized the majesty of God. Get into the presence of God consistently in your life and your priorities will take shape. Things that you think are so important, you'll realize, man, this doesn't mean anything. And things that are kind of important may become more important. See, here's the thing. Your wardrobe in the presence of God's holiness doesn't seem to mean as much. Your entertainment doesn't seem to mean as much. But man, your submission to his will is magnified when you see him high and lifted up. While we are not physically before the throne of God, we can spend real and genuine time in his presence. We need to just get alone with God, away from the distractions, away from the noise, away from others, and spend real time with him. I'm not talking about 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there. I mean, those are great times, but we need to really be before him in his presence. We said it last week that an empty vessel can be filled, and that is his spirit that fills us up. So here's my encouragement. If you're feeling empty this morning, then spend some time in his presence. And I'm telling you from experience, when you draw close to him, he will draw close to you. Too many times we spend so much time listening to those that have spent time in the presence of God when we can go up the mountain ourselves. Hear me now. It is great and needed to listen to spiritual leaders who open up our hearts and our minds to God's word. But it doesn't have to stop there. We don't need Moses telling us what the presence of God is like. We can go up the mountain in the body of, or in the, as the body of Christ, and we can spend time in his presence for ourselves. Uh, it's great to listen to spiritual leaders. It's great to listen to those guys on the radio or TV, some of them. By the way, just because it's on a Christian network doesn't mean it's Christian. Just because it's a guy preaching at a church doesn't mean it's biblical. But it's great to have those guys that are solid individuals, authors, speakers that you listen to, that you kind of draw from spiritual strength. But listen, don't depend on the speaker. 
Don't depend on the pastor. Don't depend on the person to tell you what the presence of God is like. Get alone with the author of the book. Go up the mountain yourself and spend time in his presence. And you will find, man, you'll be so filled up. So as we spend this genuine experience in the presence of God, we move to Isaiah 6 and verse 5, a genuine awareness of your sinfulness. Isaiah 6, 5. Then said I, woe to me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. I mean, Isaiah becomes increasingly aware of not just his own sinfulness, but the sinfulness of the people around him. He says, man, not only am I wicked, I live among wicked people. And who am I that I could look at the presence of God, look at the very throne of God? You see, when you have a genuine experience in the presence of God, you will have a genuine awareness of your sinfulness instantly. Isaiah, who is considered a righteous man, right? A righteous individual, a follower of God is honest about his sinfulness. Being in his presence will make us aware of his majesty and power, but also aware of our own sinfulness. You see, the presence of God and the word of God have the ability to humble us. And you ever think about that? We can be really arrogant with other people, can't we? Even as Christians in church, we can think we're better than other Christians. Well, I've been saved longer than they have. I've read the Bible many more times than they have. I give way more than they give. I look more like a Christian than they do. Man, what a horrible, horrible arrogance. When we should just bow before God and say, God, it is your grace, it is your mercy that I have not been struck dead in my sin. It is your forgiveness that I lean on. You see, we become aware of our sinfulness, which drives us to praise, which drives us to worship. We realize that we are completely lost and undone in our sin. So what do we need to fully surrender to God and to his call in our lives? A genuine experience in his presence, an awareness of our sin, as well as verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah 6, a genuine understanding of God's grace. Look at verse 6 and verse 7. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth. How do you think that felt? It says here, he goes on to say, And said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. This is an amazing display of grace. Isaiah only brings one thing to the table. Notice this now. One thing Isaiah brings, which is what? His sin. He openly confessed of his sin and desired repentance from his sin. And in that moment, God offered and initiated the work of grace to purge Isaiah of his sin. Isaiah didn't have to earn this purging. He didn't have to work for it. He didn't have to pay for it. God didn't say, now go back to earth, live 40 days sinless, and then come back and you'll be clean. He said, no, no, you just admitting your sin, confessing it before God in honesty, and a desire of repentance, and God initiates and cleanses him and purges him. Man, I love that part of the story because to me it shows the grace of God. In Christ, all your sins are forgiven because of grace. 
Maybe you didn't hear me. That's fine. It's getting a little late. You're kind of getting hungry. In Christ. Follow me now. And anyone that doesn't understand this, or do, if this doesn't, I'm not saying you got to verbally say something. I was teasing about that. But if this doesn't radically shake you to your core, if it doesn't make you stand up and say, God, you are so good, if this doesn't make you in your heart of hearts and in your mind every day just praise him, then you've probably forgotten how sinful you really were. You think you were better than you really were. But every one of your sins, past, present, and future, are all forgiven because of his grace in your life. You see, here's the other thing I think. We spend time in his presence, but I think we become less and less aware of our sinfulness the longer we're in Christ because we think I wasn't really that bad to begin with. And then we start doing that comparison game, right? Well, yeah, Lord, I know that I struggled with lying. I know that I struggled with this or cheating, but I'm not like those that struggle with this. This is where we pick sins that we think are worse sins than other sins, right? Man, we're so good at this. Well, God, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm not like those sinners. Be careful there, because when you read the Gospels and you read the New Testament, there's a group of individuals that you're sounding an awful alike there. Those Pharisees, those religious leaders. Well, we're not like those publicans and those tax collectors and those harlots. And God stood before them in the person of Christ and said, man, every single person needs redemption. Every single person needs to be healed. There is no righteous. There is no perfect. Paul says there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I've said it before. That word sin there is the idea of all sin. Not this sin or that sin or or lying or pedophilia or this or lust. He's saying it's all sin. And the only way you are cleansed of your sin is because God initiated, Jesus came, offered himself as a free gift, and you, by faith, received the gift of salvation. You see, full surrender to God only makes sense when you understand the God that's calling you. Full surrender to Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, follow me, that only makes logical sense when you understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you. When you understand who Jesus is and you understand the gospel, following him makes perfect sense. There is nothing else I can do but follow him. What does Paul say in Romans chapter 12 about our bodies being a living sacrifice? He says this is acceptable. This is, this is, makes sense. This is obvious. This is what you should do. Surrender and follow the call of God for your life. And so here's what I want to do this morning as we close with the time of invitation. Invitation is not uh, any different as far as time you spend with God somewhere else. It's not like God is more present in these steps because we now call this an invitation than he is in your seats. But here's the point. Maybe you want to come away. Maybe you want to come and pray and say, God, I've been praying some safe prayers I've been praying some safe prayers, and I'm tired of it. And I want to grow in my intimacy with you. I want to grow in my faith in you. I want to see you do things in my life that I can't take the credit for. I have to only praise you. And it takes dangerous prayers. Maybe you want to come and say, God, search me. Try me. Lord, break me of my sinfulness, my pride, my arrogance. Break me of thinking it's all about me. And then, Lord, I'm going to ask you to send me. I'm going to ask you to send me into this world as a follower of Christ, that I would preach Christ, 
proclaim that message. Again, what's that call of God on every one of our life? To live for Christ by leading others to Christ and helping them to grow in Christ. Lord, I just want you to send me. I'm just going to do those things. Not because I think I'm good enough. Lord, if I'm being honest, I know I'm not good enough, but I believe you're equipping me to do it. And so I, I'm going to spend time in your presence. I'm going to confess any sins that are in the way, and I'm going to receive your grace and your forgiveness so that I can be usable to you as I go out into this world, living for Christ, leading others to Christ, and helping others to grow in Christ. And so whatever God is doing, we're just going to have a moment. I'm going to have you bow in prayer in just a moment. The band's going to come and lead us in a song of invitation. Take that back. I think we're just going to have the piano this morning. And so we're just going to have some music this morning. And so maybe you want to come and pray. Maybe you want to just stay where you are and, and right there in your seats, just pray and spend time with him. There's going to be some people up front here that would love to pray with you, some men and women, that if you want to pray with someone, you just come grab someone. If you're a woman, grab a woman's hand, a, a guy, come talk to a guy up here. We would love to pray with you. I want to encourage you in that way. But if you want to just come, maybe you don't want to pray with anybody. Maybe you just want to come and bow a knee and just spend some time with you and God and say, God, send me. Whatever God is doing, would you respond to him? Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for this morning. And Lord, we pray that you would search us and try us. That you would break us of anything that we're holding on to. And that you would send us. Lord, that we would respond favorably to the call of God in our lives. Lord, there's some in this room that it's obvious you're calling them to do or to say or to move in some way. Maybe they're like Jonah and they're saying, Lord, here I am, but I'm not going. Lord, I don't care what you say. I don't care what happens. I'm not going. And they dig their heels in. I pray they would understand that you're graciously initiating in their lives so that they can see you in a new way, that they can see your presence in their life and the intimacy grow in a new way. Lord, maybe there's somebody here that says, here I am, but send someone else. I don't have time or I'm not good enough, wherever they are on that spectrum. I pray you'd show them, Lord, that we all have weaknesses. We all are insufficient at times, but it's not our strength that we go in. We go in the strength of Christ. Help us to know, Lord, that you use the foolish things to confound the wise. That we can humble ourselves before you and go because you don't call the equipped, you equip the called. And Lord, I pray that we'd be like Isaiah and say, here I am, Lord, send me. Lord, again, may you be glorified in all that is said and done today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Again, there in your seats, maybe you want to pray. Maybe you want to come forward and pray. As we're led in just a time of, of music this morning and just a time of reflection, would you ask God to lead you, guide you, and direct you? Search me. Lord, search me. Break me and send me, Lord, that I would go where you lead me go. And we ask this all in Jesus' name to his glory. That's what we're praying today, for him to be glorified.